Welcome back to the Arab Tyrant Manual Podcast. You've probably already seen the news that Iyad was warned by Norwegian security services that he's the target of a threat by Saudi Arabia. If not, there's a link to the news in the description of the episode. The following is Iyad's press conference last week explaining why he chose to make this public. He also discusses why it happened, that is, why they are so threatened by him and his work, and why they would want to kill him. Thank you. Last week, news uh, broke that that I had been contacted by the Norwegian PST regarding a threat. The story and the details that followed uh, generated quite a lot of media attention. Now, I chose to hold this press conference, uh, first of all, to make myself available to as many journalists as possible, but also to provide some extra details. I have this short statement, and after that, I will take some questions. So on Thursday, April 25th, PST agents arrived at my doorstep. They showed me their badges and asked me to come with them. They took me to a secure location, and they told me that they have received a tip from a partner intelligence agency indicating that I've been the target of a, th of a threat. Now, there's already been a lot of reporting on this, so I'm not going to go over the details again. I'm just going to emphasize a few key details uh, that I think were not clear from the initial reporting. Uh, first of all, note that two weeks had passed between the incident itself and the news. The Guardian led the story. I, I wish, of course, to thank the Guardian's reporters who worked on this report for the great job they did in, in, in uh, confirming the key details. A uh, couple details to mention here. First of all, it was the Guardian who came to me. It was not me who went to them. Uh, in other words, the Guardian seemed to have had their own independent sources. And the, of course, they did not share those sources with me. It was also the Guardian who confirmed that this partner intelligence agency was, in fact, the CIA. Uh, I had a strong idea that it was, but I only knew for a fact uh, after the Guardian's reporting. Now, when the Guardian contacted me, I confirmed the news to them, but I also convinced them to hold off on breaking the story until I coordinate properly with Norwegian authorities. Uh, the story finally broke on Tuesday, May 7th. This decision, the decision to go public, was not something that was taken lightly. Of course, I started weighing this decision as far back as day one. And the advice I received repeatedly from independent security experts was that publicity would be protection. In other words, I'm safer in the, city, in the middle of, of the city square rather than in the shadows, because this will create a deterrent since the world will be watching. And while the, the decision to go public was discussed with the authorities, it's very important for me over here to emphasize that the PST cannot and did not endorse this decision either way. They emphasized that they will officially neither confirm nor deny, which is standard procedure. Two days later, additional reporting in Time magazine confirmed that US Intel actually warned, uh, sent tips and warning regarding three activists. So it wasn't only me. The other two were Omar Abdelaziz in uh, Canada and a third uh, US-based activist uh, who prefers to remain unnamed. Omar Abdelaziz was placed under protection by Canadian authorities. Meanwhile, the US-based activist was barred from travel. He was warned against travel uh, that he had already planned. Now, the report uh, in Time magazine pointed to our association with the late Jamal Khashoggi as the likely reason behind us being targeted, be behind the threats. And this is something I wish to expand upon. 
Some reporting has speculated that I'm a target because I'm a critic uh, of Mohammed bin Salman. Now, that's true, but I don't think it is mere criticism that led to this. We recently had uh, a risk assessment and we identified six or seven very sensitive projects that I've been involved in that uh, would be you know, particul- a particular reason. Some of these projects are very much still in development and still in progress, and I cannot discuss their details. I will speak about a subset of these projects. Now, in order to better frame the discussion about these projects, I think I need to zoom out a little bit and speak about the relationship between MBS, uh, the state of uh, the Arab public sphere, and how this relates to projects started by the late Jamal Khashoggi. The 2011 Arab uprisings saw the rise of a new Arab public sphere. Conventional media was very tightly controlled, but social media was not. For this reason, the new public sphere, the new Arab public sphere, which was dynamic and youthful, flowered online. And Twitter was ultimately the most important space. The rise of the counter-revolutionary axis around 2014 throttled free expression in much of the Arab world, but the Saudi public sphere continued to thrive. Uh, This was aided by Twitter's immense popularity in Saudi Arabia and also the large online population from Saudi Arabia. When MBS started his rise to power in 2015, it was soon very clear that a priority was destroying this new Arab public sphere and achieving complete domination over it. I'm not going to get into details about how they did it, but they succeeded spectacularly. By 2017, certainly by 2018, Arabic language Twitter went from being the heart of this new youthful dynamic Arab public sphere to being a swamp presided over by Saudi trollmaster Saud al-Qahtani and his minions. The leading Twitter intellectuals from Saudi Arabia were silenced, jailed, exiled, or killed. MBS and Qahtani managed to subvert Twitter from being a tool of free, uh, of free expression to a weapon for social control and propaganda. They used Twitter to manufacture and engineer public opinion, to push out propaganda, to mob dissidents, to disrupt conversations, and to deliver threats. We know a lot about Saudi hacking capabilities. We know what kind of software they use. But in my informed opinion, the most valuable piece of software that MBS owns is not Pegasus. It is Arabic Twitter. MBS has killed for Twitter before, and it looks like he's not done killing for Twitter yet. Now, my late friend, Jamal Khashoggi, was very well aware of this. He was anguished over the state of of free expression in the Arab world. And he he realized the power of and importance of Twitter. During the last year of his life, he started three significant initiatives, three significant ideas aimed at reclaiming this public sphere. So three Twitter-focused projects. Each of these projects represented a different methodology and a different line of attack. Upon Jamal's death, Omar Abdul Aziz inherited one of these initiatives. I inherited the other two. The third activist, the one, the US-based activist who also received a warning from US Intel, he co-inherited one of the two. Now, I'm not going to get into what these projects are, at least not as part of the statement, but I'm going to emphasize that the methodology developed for one of these, for one of these projects, was employed by my team starting from February 2019 to investigate the Saudi state-controlled Twitter campaigns against U.S. businessman and Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. You see, at the time of Jamal Khashoggi's murder, Bezos was in a curious situation. He was someone who had extensive business interests in Saudi Arabia, 
and a personal relationship with MBS, but he also was the owner of the Washington Post, which means he was ultimately Jamal Khashoggi's boss. When Bezos decided to stand by the Washington Post, MBS saw this, saw this as betrayal. Not to get into too many details, but it seems that MBS and Qahtani employed their Twitter-based networks and their cyber capabilities and their financial leverage and their connections to certain characters in the Trump universe to take a series of actions aimed at punishing Jeff Bezos. Later in February, there was an attempt to blackmail Jeff Bezos and to secure his silence after he had launched his own investigation into the attacks against him. That blackmail attempt failed. That blackmail attempt failed, mainly because Jeff Bezos said no and exposed it. Immediately after, Jeff Bezos wrote this in a, in a Medium post, which is now infamous. Immediately upon seeing that Medium post, my team and I started investigating the matter. I wrote some preliminary thoughts and, and, uh, uh, on Twitter soon after. And a couple of days later, I was contacted by Jeff Bezos' investigation team, and we established a working relationship. This relationship culminated in an extensive report that was submitted by Gavin De Becker, who is the head of Jeff Bezos' investigation, to federal, invest to federal investigations in the United States in March. Ahead of that, in late February, I wrote a piece, uh, a detailed report for the Daily Beast, that revealed the extent of the Saudi campaigns against Jeff Bezos. In late March, Gavin De Becker wrote his own article, also for the Daily Beast, summarizing the conclusions of his investigation, and the investigation concluded that the Saudis were inside Jeff Bezos's phone. I'd like to say here that all of the work that my team did with uh, uh, Jeff Bezos's investigation team, and all of the work that we continue to do, was done with no contra contractual relationship and no compensation discussed with Bezos or with his security team. Now, returning to the threats, it was during my work on the Bezos investigation that I felt that I had crosshairs on my back. In February, I expressed my concern to a number of friends, Norwegian friends, who asked, and, and I asked for, for their advice. In March, after receiving more indications that I'm a target, I filed a police report with Oslo police. In fact, when the PST showed up at my doorstep on April 25th, I wasn't the least surprised. In fact, I think the first thing I said was something like, what took you so long? At the time, I did not know that uh, they received a tip from the CIA. They only told me later. Now, I'd like to address the subject of what this incident means in the broader context of MBS's rise. It seems to me that MBS is shedding his reformist image and entering a new phase. The image of the enlightened reformer, uh, that image has served him well, and I think it's gone. It's over and done with. It's not coming back. The new phase seems to be one of naked repression. MBS is not done killing. This is not a one-off incident. It's, it's part of a new wave of repression. The threats against me and my colleagues are not a new escalation. It is not surprising in, in the least that MBS would be going after dissidents. Now, some may, may be wondering why MBS would still be out to target dissidents after the backlash after Jamal's murder. Some would point to the shameful lack of accountability, and of course they'd be right. In recent reporting, I've, I've seen that MBS is being presented almost as a Putin figure, as someone who's unaccountable, uh, and there's nothing that anybody can do about it. I actually think, I mean, even some reports show uh, they lead with pictures of MBS with Putin. I actually think that you should show pictures of MBS with Jared Kushner. It, MBS is only unaccountable and unhinged because the administration, which is most capable of holding him to account, is currently his biggest enabler.
Now, there's another factor which was important to consider. One of the most poignant messages that I have received in the past week came from a human rights activist working somewhere in the Arab world. And this was the message. The message was something like, if you are threatened and you're in Norway, what chance do I have? MBS has already benefited. He's already sent ripples of fear among dissident communities. He sent a message that if you oppose him, you're not safe regardless where you are, even if you're here in Norway. In a dark way that actually mirrors the logic of targeting Jeff Bezos. Because if Jeff Bezos can be blackmailed, who's safe? There's a second way in which MBS has benefited. Those who can check my Twitter mentions can see that I've received a tremendous amount of, of abuse from Saudi, from, Saudi based, from Saudi controlled Twitter accounts. The majority of the abuse focuses on the fact that I'm Palestinian. Ahead of the so-called deal of the century, which was expected to be, to, expected to be declared next month, MBS's propaganda engine has, is doubling down on its effort to insult and dehumanize Palestinians. They describe us as being treasonous, money-grabbing, untrustworthy, hypocritical, disloyal, and ungrateful. All of this is in order to make the case domestically that Palestinians are not worth supporting and that the terrible deal that's going to be declared is the best that we deserve. The fact that I'm Palestinian actually happens to serve their narrative. In closing, I'd like to express my gratitude to Norwegian security services for the care and protection that they have provided. The threats against me seem to be a long-term problem. And for me, this is like settling into, into a new lifestyle. I'm not in a position to make any comments about security arrangements, but I can confirm that two different Norwegian institutions are involved. I think that as Norwegians and as residents of Norway, we have every right to be proud of the professionalism and competence of Norwegian security services. Having seen the work of these agencies from the inside, I can guarantee you and I can confirm that there are serious professionals whose work is impressive and comprehensive. I'm not a Norwegian citizen yet, but as a prospective Norwegian, I must say that I'm proud of this country and of the light that it is in the world today. I also wish to express my gratitude to Norway's Ministry of Justice. Um, Norway's Ministry of Justice has immediately taken into consideration my concerns about my family members who, are, who remain vulnerable outside of Norway after these threats. My family lived in the, in the United Arab Emirates until 2014 when I was arrested and ex expelled from the country. My parents and my sister were later made to leave in 2015. They now live as refugees in another country and my father's mental health has de deteriorated sharply after these events. I've been advised by security experts that my family is a soft target and that securing their safety is of utmost priority. I can no longer travel to see them. I need to bring them here for them to be safe. Last week, the Norwegian Ministry of Justice was informed, and I'm told that the deputy minister said that their case is being examined immediately. I'm grateful for any and all efforts to secure my family's safety. Norway, please bring my, my family to safety, please. A final message to Norway would be around about the Norwegian oil fund, which is the world's richest and most successful sovereign wealth fund. Let it be known that Norway's money continues to be invested in Saudi Arabia. I will not comment. I'm going to leave this point to the conscience of the Norwegian people. I would like to thank the Fritz Uhr Foundation in Norway for funding some of my work. I'm honored and humbled by their support. And of course, I would very much like to thank my family here at Civita. I don't know, I, I don't know what I would have done without you guys. 
MVS is a perfect embodiment of Arab tyranny in its, its, in its most hysterical, most paranoid, and hopefully its final stage. It is their fear which is driving their paranoia. If you look at the Arab region today, you're going to see authoritarian hysteria, failed states, terror organizations, civil wars, proxy wars, economic crisis, but you're also going to see popular uprisings and stiff popular resistance. This may look like absolute chaos, but I submit to you that, that this is exactly what a democratic transition looks like. This is not a battle of a few years, this is a battle of a generation. History is in good hands. The nations of the so-called free world need to, need to choose which side of history they stand on. We're not free until we're all free. We're not safe until we're all safe. Thank you, I'll take your questions. The fact that the Saudi government is targeting Iyad is concerning, but not surprising. We know that they've killed before and are willing to kill again. What's notable is the proof that our work is worth this for them. That's the surest proof that we're having an impact. If you'd like to look at the investigations uh, that we've worked on that have led to this, they're on our website, arabtyrantmanual.com. You can also help us do more by supporting us on our Patreon, patreon.com slash the Arab Tyrant Manual podcast is a project of Kowakibi Foundation and we're a small volunteer-driven organization, so every dollar really makes a difference. And thank you to everyone who's already supporting us. See you next week.